Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's Strength in the Number show. Our guest today, some of you might know him already, his name is Brian Lapidus and you might have come across some of the work he's done with AFP, the Association for Finance Professionals. And the great thing I have in Brian on with you is that I've always really enjoyed my conversations with him and it was just great finally to to be able to share him with you. Some of the things we get to discuss are what uh, FP&A practitioners and the membership are talking about at the moment, some of the key themes that are emerging out there in corporate finance. We discussed the role of the CFO and particularly the sea change that we've seen around it from an evolutionary perspective and how that's elevated within organisations, but off the back of that, how FP&A is elevated as well. Uh, one of my favourite topics in around finance is also one around incentives. So how do incentives and risk profiles play parts in the decision-making and how we can support that? And why data is the foundation of all the things we want to do? And we also sort of note some links to an event in June that, that I'll be speaking at. Brian and myself recently partnered together on an article about this around getting our data right. So an awful lot there to unpack and digest and give you loads of food for thought. And always, if you want to go and find out Ways to connect with Brian to continue the conversation, timestamp show notes, key quotes, links to the resources mentioned and more. You can do that at sitnshow.com. And we really appreciate it when you share our show with your friends and colleagues. We're on all the major platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify and Amazon Music. So thanks for tuning in. And that's enough for me for now. So without further ado, over to Brian and the show. So Brian, welcome to the show. Andrew, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. I just really appreciate the opportunity for us to get to have another chat and drive together for a bit. So look, I, I think we know a bit about each other for, for the last number of years, but some of our audience, they might know you as well from your role at AFP, but others might be more new to you. So would you mind maybe taking a few moments to share with us your journey and your history of finance, please? Sure. So I'll start with, with where I am at AFP. So AFP, we are a not-for-profit. We are committed to the growth, development, and improved work life of the corporate finance practitioner. We have specialties in corporate finance, which is really FP&A, financial planning and analysis, and treasury. We have certifications in both of those areas. We put on the best the best conference in the business, bar none, and I am totally <laughs> not biased when I say that. I was going to say, you're not biased at all, <laughs> are you? Not biased at all. And then, and then we, we have webinars, research papers, guides, things like that. And with all of those ways of getting content out for the membership, my role is really on the content side is to create and curate content for the members. And so we are constantly in conversation. You know, We have call for proposals from the membership and say, what, what are you working on? What is it that all of your peers need to know? We have advisory councils to make sure that the, that the writing that we put out there is legit that it makes sense for for the community that we're serving there's a, there's great things to unpack in there brian i'd actually one i need to talk to you about your conference that is a very bold claim the greatest conference out there right so how do you how do you run the greatest conference ever in in finance in corporate finance 
So part of it is the team that we have, we've been doing this for 25 years or so. And so we listening to the membership, we make sure that we know what it is the membership wants. And, you know, coming up this year, it'll be in Philadelphia, the third week in October, and we'll have more than a hundred different educational sessions, right? And that'll be, you know, some will be vendors, some will be practitioners, and they're going to be talking about well, on the FPNA side, right? Everything falls into three buckets. One is finance and business, right? What's new in finance and business? And how do you think about that part of what we do? A second track is going to be technology and data, the tools and the data that we use, kind of those raw materials. And then the third track for, for the FPNA side is personal and team effectiveness. How do you be good as a leader? How do you be good as an individual? How do you improve the quality of your team. Yeah, because I know I liked how you included team there because <laughs> in my mind, that's okay. We have we have people and it's great to be personally effective. But, you know, where the great stuff happens, it happens in teams. It doesn't happen to individuals locked away in a cell or an office somewhere, you know, or at a home now remote working like a lot of us are doing. It happens in teams, you know, teams set the culture, the pace and so on. So I'm really delighted you, you, you knocked on that. I don't see that very often that teams included in these things. But what are the main questions that I suppose your members are asking to hear about within those areas? What's what sort of most burning items on their mind at the moment? Yeah. You know, it's funny how in this role that I have, right? So I view, I'm looking at hundreds of conference submissions per year over a number of years. I've, I've been in this this position for about four years now. And so there really are different themes every year. Um, in the past, it had been all about these kind of the whiz bang and kind of the, the magic of some of these ideas. Within the technology space, it really has moved from the theoretical and things on the horizon to just practically be in the distance are now a little bit closer. So what I mean by that is, you know, AI is this umbrella term that covers so many different things. Well, we're going to have, you know, we're going to have Microsoft coming to talk about how they use it, not in big scale, but in little scale, right? Here's how we have it on a, here's how we're using it for very, very specific things. And then from there, they'll explain how they're, they're building up capabilities. So on the technology space, it's the, the trend of what we're seeing is very tactical things used to be daunting, but now are becoming more and more commonplace. That's great because I think a lot of this has been theoretical and sort of like you could do this or these are the ROI you should be expecting. And I, I found with a lot of this digitalization agenda on the technology, teams weren't seeing the returns on it, you know, so it'd be great to understand how do we identify what works well and what we could do more of better, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, We'll get back. We can get back to the, to the returns. On oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. because there's, it's, I've had some really interesting conversations on that. But to, to answer your previous question on the finance and business side, the finance yeah. trend, I think the trend there that we're seeing is a movement away from this belief that you can actually predict what a single but a single outcome is. Right. The idea of I'm going to have a single budget and we're going to hit it for the year and that's it. Right, we're gonna have one NPV and that's it. And as we look at this in the VUCA world, right? The volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, as we look into this world, what we're seeing is that 
finance's response to this uncertainty is not to have single point projections that you hold out there for a year, but to hold multiple points of view simultaneously. So what does that look like? Scenario planning. It's rapid reforecasting and getting your message out. It's range bound forecasting and probability adjusted forecasts. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm delighted to see that because like when, when I came up through college, my background was statistics before I, I you know, I really mm. went in with accounting. And it's great to see that sort of coming in the simulation, some of the Monte Carlo people looking at real options, you know, not having that one outcome. God, it's taken like nearly 20 years, but better late than ever, I suppose. <laughs> right. And and some of some of this is our fault. Right. We like certainty. Right. We like we liked one number. That's a good point. Yeah. Some of yeah. it. Some of it is the business's responsibility because they look and they say, what's the number like? And nobody yeah. wants to be the one to say, well, on what? Right. It's the old economist joke. Right. On one hand, it could be this. On the other hand, it could be that. And then, of course, you get, you know, Harry Truman saying, well, give me a one handed economist so that I get a single answer. Yeah, uh, um, but but, actually, but but you know what I found that working best like what the, the the area that got it the earliest was I thought it was in like private equity, where yes they were looking for an outcome but you could actually show them a range of outcomes they were more the shareholders but then I found when you get into a business and you're dealing with leaders and management they just that one want that one headline that one number that one point they're not really interested in all these things that could happen they just want to know what you know what should they be thinking of and. And it's our role maybe to distill that for them. So maybe that's what's caught us up a bit. But I found it's more shareholders appreciate the optionality a bit more and the probabilistic nature of it. So if you believe that incentives are destiny, right, people will do what they're incented to do, then <laughs> yeah. the way a private equity firm is incented is tremendously different than a corporate, right? Private equity, venture capital, their assumption is they're going to, for every 10, for every, well, I'll focus more on venture capital because they're really more on the risk end of the spectrum. They're going to have 10 investments. One will be a home run, two will be fair, and the other seven will lose. And they're okay with that, right? Because that's the risk appetite. That's their expectation. Once you get into corporation and corporate finance, the risk profile is different. The board of directors is, is, is looking to have a different risk. And so when you're the CEO or the CFO, right, you're not incented on wild fluctuations that might lead to something positive over time because those fluctuations that volatility is going to be perceived by shareholders as you don't know how to manage your business when when i was in business school i had this this quote from uh, professor yermak and I, it's one of these things that always stuck with me he said as an investor you might want a company that has a beta of two right so it's twice as volatile as the as the overall market right a, a high beta with good growth rates seems exciting as an investor. But if you're running a company, you're not incented on that volatility and growth. You're incented on consistency and growth. So why is it that companies lean towards broad diversification and investing in things that are outside their core business? Well, if it's outside their core business, then you've got offsetting amplitudes and your volatility is minimized. Okay, but is that going to give you the right growth? It's all about the incentives, and, and you have to you have to know those incentives. You have to verbalize it, and then you have to build it into your your finance, your your investment allocations. And it's really interesting, right? That I I found anyway when I I did that traditional route of training up to become an accountant, CPA, that 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 route, it was all very much, how do you say, technical we didn't really focus much on the the human side or or, or the uh, the gut feeling side of making decisions and so on and incentives 
So, but I found that a bit odd because one of my favorite topics was something called praxeology or the study of human action or incentives. And, and it's interesting how you're, you're calling it out, like how important that is, blending. Is finance, FP&A, and, and I suppose our profession turning a bit, well, it's probably always been more of an art and a science, but we're appreciating that it's more of an art form now that we, you know, you don't get a lot of this stuff from textbooks. You have to experience it. So I'm going to get a little, maybe a little philosophical, a little historical as I answer that. So the role of the CFO is the steward of capital. And what does that mean, right? It is responsibility for reporting where the capital was and where the capital is and circulating that money, circulating the capital around the business so that it can be deployed in the right place at the right time. So let's start with that. The sea change that's happened is it's become so much easier to do those two jobs. It's right, more automation, you know, in in all the forms. And so now you still have the you have these people who are trained as accountants and auditors and tax specialists, right? And this new this newish thing called FPA, right? You have all these people who are trained in finance and they're saying, well, we've got this skill and we used to be worried about getting everything in the right place so that we could report it. We used to be worried about moving it around. We still are, but if we're the steward of capital, we have the opportunity, the new business model that is available to us is to have a forward-looking view on how that capital is deployed. So that's the way that the CFO role has grown. How, where do I put my next dollar or euro or pound of capital to its highest r- return? Well, I think we're a complete bit of agreement on that. Although I, I'm interested you said FP&A is, is newish, right? I. I actually would agree with you from my sort of to say what I've seen develop in my crooks when when I was training, I I, I FBNA didn't exist. <laughs> but I was I was trying to find out when was the term first used and, and Ken Fick, I, I think he's also based out of DC. I don't know if you come across Ken, but he reckons it was around 1963, 1964, it was sort of first mentioned and we found it in a, a financial journal. And so it's been around a while, but it only seems to be gaining traction in my mind, definitely since I started my career, because it didn't really exist uh, when we were talking to folks. So is it because of that more forward looking and people trying to look a bit round the corner nowadays? What do you think, Brian? Well, first, I think I'm going to have to get together with Ken and see what his notes have and compare with my notes. Ken actually sits on our advisory, one of our advisory councils, (laughs) making sure that what we do and what we talk about is relevant to the profession. So... I've actually done, done created an engram. Do you know what a Google engram is? You can see the prevalence of no. the term. No. So it's it's really fun, but I think it might even be google.ngram.com, but you can go and look up a term and see how often a term has been used in literature ah, over the past right. 500 yeah. years, literally counting the number of times in a book that it's appeared. And there's yeah, this yeah. graph about the CFO, right? So the CFO as a term really was barely used in the 1950s, 60s. In the 70s, it first came into to being because of various accounting changes and ta- really was a t- tax changes. And so the question in the 70s became, how do we maximize our business given this new tax accounting and who's the right person? And then in the 80s is when you had the kind of the next wave of CFOs. And that's because you had all of these leverage buyouts, the, the Michael yeah, Milken, huge right? The the barbarians at the gate era. At the gate. And so what happened was you had all these people outside, the corporate raiders who were saying, who were asking, how can I 
come in and break apart a company to release this trapped capital and, and value. So then the CEOs and the board said, oh my goodness, we're going to be raided. Who do we have inside who can ask those same questions to release it? And that was the elevation of the CFO. Okay, we've got this finance specialist here. So I think that there were, I'm sure that there were planning people in the, you know, in there's, there's always been planning people. But I think what's happened is this, the CFO, the, the CFO position came into maturity and then it became, it just grew and has continued to grow. And then, you know, there's, there's other time, things that, you know, milestone events about risk and, and, and that my first job in FPNA was not called FPNA, right? It was, it was, they hadn't really, the term wasn't really in use. So I think that the role was there, but what happened was yeah. in about the, the late, the late aughts, I'll use my, my British English there, the late aughts, you know, somewhere around 2010 or so, <laughs> you started hearing more about, I wasn't with AFP at the time, but that's the point where AFP actually said, there is this growing group of people who work for the CFO and they're not, they're not accountants, they're not treasury, they're not audit, but they work for the CFO. So what, what did they do? And AFP developed its certification around, I think it was the first year that it was in place was 2015. And so that it was part of the thinking of the org of AFP was to help define what are the skills, the foundational skills it takes to do this job. And in doing so, it's what is that job? And it's interesting, the, the guy that we have coming out at the end of the end of April, one of the things that we that we're talking about is people who work in FPNA but don't know it. In Europe, you, in Europe, the term business yeah. controller is very common. Controller, and I, that, and I, that's what resonated with me was controllership, and that that's the big term is controller. Right. And they were doing that, you right. know, part of the FPNA. Yeah. So there's the business controller separate from the finance controller, and I was talking to somebody. She's an SVP at a major bank, and she says, you know, everybody thinks that FPNA is just the people who pull together the forecast, you know, but there's line of business finance. They're FPNA, but they don't know it, right? There is SNOP. Sorry, operations finance, sales and operations, yeah. but they don't know it. Yeah. So I think that FPNA is both a set of responsibilities that you do, as well as a position on an org chart. And those set of responsibilities that you define that we define as FPNA is working for the CFO and helping the business make better decisions. That's it. However, you allocate yes. capital, make decisions, and you work for the CFO. And that CFO part is very important because when FP&A and marketing sit down or FP&A and supply chain sit down or HR, they each come to the table with something different and they should come to the table with something different. What finance brings to the table uh, is quantitative methods, models, and an approach to capital. And you need that in order to balance out the other points of view, which are also valid, but different. And so in order to get that complete view, that's what finance brings. I couldn't agree more, Brian. It's, it's, it's really interesting that, that journey, that evolution, because when you sort of said it's about helping the business make those better decisions, that, that's what, for me, business partnering was. And that's how I found my, my, my way towards FP&A was, okay, I was pulling the threads at this and actually both sort of met in the middle. And then I, I would expand what you just said to say, well, finance not only has that ability to give the whole picture or help that whole picture develop out but also that independence as well you know we're there to represent the business as a whole not not any special interests and and i think with the evolution of afp and other places our better understanding and knowledge 
we're developing better techniques all the time. Uh, we've got this technology that's driving. In actual fact, that's uh, you and me got together and we were looking at uh, data, actually, and uh, developing a paper around getting your data right. And as part of that series, uh, contributing towards that. I right. love these conversations. So how, how did that one come about, getting your data right? You know, you could use the the now cliche of data is the new oil and it's the lubricant of, of everything else, right? What what I see is that data is the foundation for all the other things that we want to do. In in some of our research, we had a survey in 2020. What, what really emerged was how people are using all their tools is they have these islands of automation that are out there, right? We have, we've invested, you know, I don't know how many hundreds of billions of dollars into ERPs and EPMs and here's a transaction, right? And so what's happening is you've got automation in all these different pockets. And then when it comes time to connect them, right, you export to Excel and you get in a rowboat and you, ro you know, you have these islands connected by rowboats of, of Excel spreadsheets, right? So the point that we have now is the data exists, but it's just not as accessible. And because of that, people are now coming up with these, you know, these little Band-Aid solutions. And getting what we're finding from our members is that those that get their data right right this is we have a whole you know you, you wrote the paper on it and we have you'll be actually speaking at our june 9th event <laughs> interestingly titled get your data right but we're going to present all these different views of companies who have said it's not just these aren't band-aid solutions this is how we're building out our company and we're building our data platform from the bottom up and what they're telling us is that is the, the launching point for everything else. If you want to get to predictive analytics, and I don't mean simple regressions, right? Not, not regressions on trend lines, but like real predictive analytics, you have to have good data. And if you want to get to machine learning, you have to get good data. And all the things that are going to make you competitive in those years that are just now on the horizon, rely on a base data layer. And this is what you have to get first. Yeah, and, and, and this is where I see the power of FP&A and some other finance professionals is actually helping determine what those data need to look like, what looks like good data, but, uh, testing it, pushing it around, validating it. I mean, basic, basic accounting skills like reconciliations come in very handy when it comes to validating data. Right, the, the, those kinds of skills, but also that, that finance has this, especially accountants, have this inherent skepticism right? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. Which it's terrible and it's wonderful, right? We need yeah. to use it. We need to be good at it. But we also understand controls. Finance understands a control infrastructure and it's, you know, it's data controls, it's ethical controls, and it's access points and, and granting access. That's, that's why we're kind of a natural for it. Yeah, I, no, I, I completely completely agree. Now, look, we, we could I think we'll save some of those topics for the June events. Uh, some of our audience can, can go attend, and we'll put some links and and that into the show notes as well. Right. But I, I again, I want to be respectful of your time as well. So, look, Brian, you've been giving us great advice, but some data on you, perhaps, maybe what what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received? Um, <laughs> that I should that I should come on your podcast. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay, maybe maybe what's the second best bit of advice you've ever received then? <laughs> you know, there's it there's probably there's lots of little things. Yeah, um, bits, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's lots of little bits uh, along the way. You know, I have I have two teenage daughters and I think that the the I don't know if it's a piece of advice or more of a of a philosophy that I tried to, to give to them. And I didn't invent this, so I'm just passing the, passing this along, but it's just the idea that we all do better when we all do better. 
And as I watch them go through various things, right? Sports uh, or dance, right? You know, how do you, your, your success is dependent on some the person to your left or right on their success. Friendships, right? High school, you know, high school friendships and coming in and out, right? I mean, you know, there's that whatever's happening in the moment, but there's also, you gotta think about the long-term, what are they going through, right? We all do better, right? And you could even go beyond that to to this, us, us as a society. And I think that what, you know, what we've seen, you know, kind of the turmoil, what we've seen kind of around us. I don't know, that's, I try I try to live up to well, that as my guiding philosophy. Well, I, I guess that's why we, you know, our conversations, I think we sort of fairly align and we get on very well. So I think our philosophies, although, although we never really discussed it like this before, like I, I think they resonate very much. When we started Strength in the Numbers, we were sort of looking with initial taglines and, I think it was the same in one of the books as well. It, what we settled on was a rising tide lifts all ships. And I think that's yeah. what you're saying, you know, was when, when we can encourage better around us, it all makes us, you know, I suppose, can give us the potential to be better. And like, that's a great legacy to leave, isn't it? You right. Know? And listening to your podcast, right? You bring people on, you know, and, you know, it's, it's what you're doing and it's what, and the guests that you're bringing on, right? It's the same thing. It's let me tell you what I've learned and hopefully this is good for you. Right. It's, it's, it's why it's so great to listen to your podcast. And that was, again, and, and where it all came from was just that frustration. I felt like we have all these people doing great things. If we just shared what we're doing well, what's working, it might help figure out pe- what people can do to be better in their own areas. It just lifts everyone up. And then maybe they share their stories and you just get this compounding effect where we're all doing more of the right things more often. I mean, how cool is that? <laughs> we had this one speaker at, at conference and he was talking about, he was in Silicon Valley and he was talking about just the rapid churn of the analysts. And, and I said to him, I said, you know, how do you manage it? You know, you've got people coming in, coming out, you know, how do you manage this? And he said, yeah, well, I'm only going to have them for a little bit of time. And he talked about getting, helping them get up to speed, understanding that they're going to move on, not holding on too tightly to the people on your team and yeah. how that in right. turn, he didn't plan on it, but how in turn, as people move around, you never know when you're going to see them again. And you've developed that relationship and that trust of, look, we're all kind of in this together. And, and it just creates a better, a better practice for us all. And, and I, I'd encourage our listeners, just think to those scenarios yourself. You know that to be true. I think that's a disinherited truth. I think that's a great way, a great way, Brian. And, and I, I suppose, look, um, th- thinking ahead, if our audience wish to continue the conversation with you, where's the best place to connect with you at? I am on LinkedIn. I'm very easy to find. Brian Lapidus on LinkedIn. I'm Brian with a Y, B-R-Y-A-N. There is another Brian Lapidus. I've met him before. He's a great guy, but he's he's in a different field. Obviously, AFP AFPonline.org. And between you know, between our newsletters, between my postings on LinkedIn and what we have on the website, everyone can find out about our June 9th event, Get Your Data Right, and they could find out all about conference, which I really do believe is the best, the best conference for corporate finance. Well, you know, may, maybe if you were to invite me now, I could get, I could give an independent assessment, uh, Brian, but we'll see. We'll Let's see. work on that. <laughs> Some point in the future. But we're all back traveling. So no, look, uh, look, it was it was an absolute blast catching up together. And I was just delighted to share with you finally with our audience. So but before we let you let you um, get back to your day job, if you were to leave our, our audience with some parting thoughts, what would you like them to be? You know, I think that I think that what's What's important for us, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. My, our, our, our CEO, Jim Cates, says that when the, when the rate of change 
on the outside is greater than the rate of change on the inside, then the end is near, right? You're in trouble if the world is moving faster than you are. If, you know, you can think about it in you know, evolutionary terms, right? If the, yeah. if the world outside in your environment is moving faster than you are, then you're going to be in trouble. And I think that that's important not to scare people, but to say you need to have a process for having your antenna up. You need to have a process for listening to what's around you, what what is changing. You don't have to be, you can't be an expert on all the change, but just to know enough to see and to constantly be scanning the environment for what's happening is such an important habit for your personal life, for your right, for your relationships that you're having and understanding other people around you are going through and for your professional life. What what great advice. Yeah, I'm, I'm nodding here for our audience. That's, that's great advice. And I love that expression. Never heard it put like that before. But what a great uh, way to have that antenna up. So, hey, look, and, and actually it's not just for our careers. It's just outside of our careers as well. There's so much I can touch. So, Brian, what a great way to end the show. Thanks for coming on and being such an awesome guest. Andrew, always a pleasure catching up and uh, looking forward to when, when we get to hang out together. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers. 